All right, so, so let's talk stress and recovery management, okay? And I'm going to kick this one off um, just out of my own interest because I'm currently in a cut. I'm, I think, four weeks in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm four weeks in. And I'm really, really, not struggling, but I, I, I'm really struggling to get motivation for training. Mm-hmm. I hate training in a deficit. It's just, I'm finding it um, quite interestingly, the hardest thing is psychologically. I'm finding mm-hmm. it hard to be motivated. Whereas before when I was eating heaps, I had lots of, like I, I wanted to go and lift big kind of thing. And now, uh, yeah. And, I'm, and obviously my recovery is much tougher. I'm doing less. I'm lifting well, we're, on, we're running a hypertrophy program at the moment, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, but my, I feel like I'm like, like I train um, squat on Monday um, and do obviously low body accessories. And I'll feel that all the way up until my deadlift session on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before I was within about two days, two to three days, I'd fully recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Is that a common thing that you find and how, how do we deal with so that? So there's a couple of ways to take a look at this is number one. So I had this conversation, I actually had this exact same conversation with someone last night with one of my, one of my athletes and she's pretty high level competitor. She's about to compete in nationals mm. and we got her in a, we got her in a deficit because we getting her ready to, you know, compete in the 75 kilo class. And so, you know, we're going to t- try and take advantage of the whole goal is to try and take advantage of dieting, yep. get her underweight and eat her back up into competition. Now, she's at a point where usually the training loads the highest, the training intensities the highest, yep. and the fatigue is the highest. So part one to this is the psychological aspect to this is that everything in your body is going to try and tell you to stop doing things and do less don't go to training um, don't lift heavy and it'll play other games you know rather than just feeling like you don't want to do it it'll make you feel like things are really hard and so but if you measure this properly so there's a couple of ways I measure it there's the velocity which is probably the most reliable form of doing right it. Yeah. yeah I also get them to send me videos so you know she broke down not able to hit the target numbers. So we were targeted for 190 uh, deadlift and she was only able to hit 180. But after reviewing the video, there's plenty more in the tank. You know, so look, and you can just, you just judge that by, you know, the speed that she's able to do it with, the, sm- mm. the smoothness of the, of the lift. And so same with the velocity. So we're in a squat session and she was feeling, she said it's feeling hard, it's feeling slow. But we were hitting the same percentages as last week. So we're aiming for not about 90% of a max for doubles right? Um, within a certain velocity range. So within one week, even though she felt worse this week, her performance increased by 3-4% um, with velocity. So she's still seeing improvements in her training, even though she's feeling constantly worse. So this is... So this is this will show that this is more of the psychological yeah, aspect to it yeah. because you know it's also 
it also fits in the category of of also overtraining or stress management. So mm. if so, if you look at another view of it, is that if you have a certain tolerance for for stress, so I call it like I call it like there's a there's a boat, right, and there's a hole in the boat, right, yeah. and it's starting to sink. Okay, so you, your recovery mo- modality for that is to try and empty the boat yeah. with a bucket. Yeah. Okay, your job is to keep that rate of water out so it doesn't sink if you get too many holes in that boat so you've got lifestyle factors the hole if you got training mm. that's going to add another hole or a bigger hole then you got a deficit okay they're all stress implements now stress is not bad stress is good mm. we need stress to create adaptation but you can overreach in stress and you can uh, prolong it for a long enough period of time until your boat sinks. Once your boat sinks, you start to heavily decline in performance. Yeah. Okay. So we have to start to look at, first off, create an understanding first of what are the, some of the, those factors that contribute to stress and what those markers are for that individual. So... One of them is training motivation, but I wouldn't just purely rely on that as a form of um, of stress or lack of recovery. Mm. You want to look at clusters of information. So because we're dealing with subjective information, yeah, we have to then look at look at look at it as a whole. So let's say let's look at the contributing factors first. Let's say let's look at training. Let's look at your quality of life, quality of sleep, quality of downtime, um, other things you're doing. You know, if someone has got a full-time job studying or doing two jobs and trying to train for a competition, then their bucket is so full, their boat is so yeah. full of water that their judgment is pretty clouded, especially when it comes to high-performance skilled, skill-based training where it requires a high level of focus. Mm. Now, it might feel like you just go in there autonomously to squat, but that's not how an athlete should be lifting. And most top-level athletes don't. They focus on the quality of that movement every single time. So when you have such clouded um, clouded focus because of the amount of things you're doing, then the quality of performance will start to drop. Because you lose training intent, you lose training quality, you lose training focus, all those, all those things. Now that's a marker of too much of too much. Now whether that's Im- impacting recovery capabilities, then that's when we start to look at the some of. The, so we look at what are the influences, all right? Then what are the markers? Okay, so we have, you know, you look at some of the acute, acute signs, some of the thing leading signs and chronic signs. So uh, a chronic sign of um, fatigue would be a rapid loss in strength, bar velocity, um, changes in body composition. Mm -hmm. That's when you start to see um, physiological changes to the body. That's normally when we're getting into chronic stages. But when we're feeling... Certain so, ways. so what, 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 in what ways do, does body composition change? Do you mean they, they, they drop weight or? 
every everybody's different. Some people drop weight, some people gain weight, yeah. some people bloat up a lot. Um, I'm a I'm a blower. So it just depends what direction, what what they yeah. It's really just depend on body type. But you'll yeah. start to see um, usually negative changes to body composition. Yeah, yeah, of some sort. Um, now our goal is to not get to chronic chronic levels. You know. Yeah. But we can't also be reactive to acute signs because what you want to see is if we get acute markers of cha- of 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 fatigue, understanding what else is going on in life, you know, um, could help with understanding um, where that is coming from. But also have to remember that it is part of training to be fatigued. Mm. So we would train at a point to create fatigue so we can have, create, so we can stimulate adaptation. Yeah, yeah. So it's, all, it's a good thing. Um, that we have fatigue and what we want to see is changes in going into fatigue and high performance, fatigue and high performance. And this should be cycled with your training. It should be very predictable with, um, with that. If you have good planning with your training, um, and especially more so with elite athletes, you're going to notice these markers a lot more who might have more awareness about, about their performance as well. So, being able to manage this comes down to comes down to a few things. I track RPE on on constant basis. Yep. You can compare performances and the quality of the RPE. You can do reporting, um, and with reporting with say both descriptive feedback and also um, assigning values to something. Mm-hmm. So of what we call like and biomarkers yeah and so that could be like rate your recovery rate your level of stress rate mm. your um i can't remember all the ones i've got there but i got a sheet i don't know for you not everyone fills it i don't know if you've been filling your one in but um <laughs> not really but that's why that's why i have it yeah um and it's all about this and di- digestion and all that. You, you ask questions about digestion. How you feel. Yeah, so you know, you, you can be quite broad. Depends on that. I usually have like five basic questions that everyone, or five basic markers. I yeah. do it, and about three questions. So it's super simple. People can do it every week, um, depending on the level of the athlete and the specificity mm. that we're we're aiming for. Um, yeah, you, then usually I'll go pretty deep into some of it. I've had up to like thirty markers of biomarkers that I would track on a daily basis rather than a weekly basis Okay. for really high-performing athletes that might have um, usually complicated complicated hormones of some sort. So there could be right. that they um, either have issues themselves, like you know, usually the common ones is like, P- like women with PCOS or endometriosis. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and if they want to perform at a higher level, their impact, their stress impact is a lot higher. And then if you want to top that with also them wanting to take anabolic steroids, then um, we have a mixture of something that can be quite, quite, quite dangerous, but they're going to want to do it anyway. So, you know, with being able to track these markers, at least we can keep their health or monitor their health as close as we can by Having all, um, various markers that give us an insight to possibly what their body is doing before things go things go wrong. So, so it's interesting you mentioned um, 
uh, anabolic steroids. Um, I, I, I also I didn't realize that endometriosis causes issues hormonally when it comes to training. Um, but More with the capacity to handle. Um, more the capacity to handle stress that has impacts on on more hormone profile, but not so much that, but more yeah. so to do with if these, especially with women, usually it usually the complications come with wanting to take the pill as well. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with there's nothing obviously nothing wrong with doing yeah. that. It really depends on their, yeah, on their goals course, with, yeah. with it as well. But it's just adds to the possible complications on why their body might not be making the changes it should be, and usually. Usually, a lot of the times, it might be changes in changes in body composition that we have struggles with. So, so that's it's interesting that that you put anabolic steroids in the same boat there because I mean the general consensus is that if you if you're on anabolic steroids, that is only going to lead to positive body composition, improved recovery. Not if it's at a not if the side effects are, um, are higher than the benefits. Right. Okay. Um, so this is all, this is all part of the mystery behind anabolic steroids because um, the average person on the street, because obviously that they're quite vilified. Mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm a I'm actually a good test case for this. I know nothing about anabolic steroids. I don't know anybody personally who openly talks about taking them, and mm-hmm. I've never really done that much research. But my perspective is that you just it just turbocharges you. You're gonna put on more muscle mass. Um, it's kind it's, of it's, it's all good, you know, except for and except for the stereotypical kind of roid rage style thing. But but I didn't realize that there, were, there could be negatives on the body composition and actual training performance side. So not to get too far off yeah, yeah, topic. Yeah, it's a big subject. So yeah. an, yes, anabolic steroids will play a huge role in your ability to recover, and that's the main yep. modality behind it. Um, there are not everyone responds the sta- the same to it. Yep. You have to have the genetic response to be able to. You have to have like the androgen receptor enough androgen receptor sites to be able to handle a certain certain dosages of it there right. are some claims to show that or state that you know exposure to long-term storage use can help increase androgen receptor sites over time but yeah. i don't really know the answer to that one yeah, yeah. actually we might be bringing someone on who can help us answer <laughs> that'll be an answer that yeah. answer that question but you have people who are high responders like good responders and Low, low responders for people who mm. might produce, you know, some in some cases, some people produce more um, estrogen or progesterone, or um, which is basically testosterone can converts into aromatizes into estrogen. Yeah. So some people have a higher capacity to aromatize test- testosterone to estrogen, so a very high level of estrogen, and um, they deplete their testosterone levels quite quite quickly and if that's coupled with low androgen receptors then they don't bind much don't have as much testosterone and high levels of estrogen um then you can have other cascades of issues is that you know if they're also you know taking some sort of oral steroid or don't have you know such a liver which can impact liver health or they just don't have good liver health and that can happen if you just have a lot of hormones because all the hormones have to process through process through the liver Mm. then you have poor breakdown of estrogen as well and so 
And that can cause other side effects is that you get binding of testosterone without SHBG, which is another, which, so you need SHBG for, I'm pretty sure I have to look at my notes again. Um, you need SHBG to be able to um, utilize, utilize estrogen in its proper biological fashion, but you also need SHBG for testosterone as well. So an excess right. of estrogen also lacks the ability to bind testosterone as well. Now, if I'm wrong about this, um, I'm sorry. Um, well, this is we've got a guest coming on who's an expert on this, so we'll yeah um, probably find out more. But yeah. those are just uh, uh, some of the some of the things to be um, aware of when taking when taking testosterone. That it's not as just as easy as just taking. It's a little bit, and like I said, in the end, it's a little bit. It is overall, it is easier for guys to take it than it is for girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bigger life decision for. It's a big life decision, no matter what. If you're going to take mm. anabolic steroids, and I don't suggest anyone taking um, anabolic steroids unless they've seeked help, done everything they can to um, get the most they can out of, out of their body naturally, which you should be able to do for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. Um, and. Um, yeah, let's not go too much down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Way. So I, I, I actually want to pull it back to the, um, the, the, the calorie deficit side. So with, um, so with your athlete, what you're, what you're saying is that I know you said obviously you track RPE, and and I, I found this, the bar's still moving, but it feels harder, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, is the bit is, the, like it. How much of an impact does the calorific deficit have? And can I just ask what that deficit is for this person? Is is it a big cut or? Um, it was probably about a six kilo. So that's probably nearly for her. That's nearly ten percent body weight. So yeah, that's quite big. Yeah. Um. So, and it's just a combination of things that because she was a bit behind in the weight schedule we had to get her in um and the reason why we do this rather than a water cut yep. is that there's quite a fair a, a, a tremendous more benefit being able to take advantage of the compensation effects that diet has mm. sorry the compensation effect that diet has on training um or your performance yeah so and essentially, we want a, key, a couple of kilos of room to be able to, you know, utilize the maximum of the, you know, peak and deload week. To right, so then really ramp up the calories and just turbocharge and so rebound. So essentially, what happens is that you know you incrementally increase over time. You incrementally or wave progress um, your volume and intensity yep. over time until, and every every wave you want to increase. Basically, the amount of you know, the amount of total volume and intensity, so that you can create adaptation. Yeah. Right. And basically, you want that as high as you can that that person can tolerate. Um, not not tolerate in terms of mentally, but what their physical body is able to tolerate. Yeah. Without getting severe injuries, without um, um, or completely crashing in performance so this is where you strategically balance out incremental increases in performance so that yep. adaptation from block to block of training we're able to handle 
handle that new new amount of volume. So you get to a point at the, at the end leading at the end of a competition where that is at its absolute highest before it tapers before it tapers down. Now the response to the response to training is that every after every training session there is a level of fa- fatigue that sets in and then not long after performance drops mm-hmm. within a few hours. Okay, so if you do something and then if you, you you lead in or after you know after the next day, usually your performance dramatically drops within twenty four hours. Right, right. Within forty eight hours, usually the next day you you might get to a point where it's recovered, and then after seventy two hours you might have a slight increase in that performance, to a degree. Like I mean, so couple that with multiple training sessions, you might have an accumulative effect of over fatigue, right? As well, um, we might have a cumulative effect of uh, steady increases in performance. The downside with the incremental in- steady increase in performance is that that usually inevitably plateaus out, which then they'll need a, a training block of being able to go into a high level of fatigue. So what I'm bringing my point to is that in this in this phase, the fatigue is at its highest. Mm. Now, every recovery response in the body is trying to increase your performance to get to a level of homeostasis. Yep. Okay. To able to sustain the the work output that that person is doing. Mm. So if you time it well, there's a window, okay? There is a window of about a week long where if you taper everything down at the right time, tapering tapering the volume, everything down at the right time, you get a massive spike increase in performance. Now you get an increase in that, you get an increase in that performance and every time the it, it lasts about a week. So it's right. got a super, comp, it's got a super compensation yep. cycle. Yep. So your fatigue, and then you bounce back, and then usually lasts a week to two weeks. Basically, you have an increase in performance. You know, it could be 10, 15, I've noticed about 10, 15% increase in, in performance. Wow. All right. And then it'll plateau out to uh, plateau out, and then be at, a new, be at its either new baseline um, or go back to their old strength. You know, so the goal is to increase the baseline strength. Mm-hmm. Over time, and then the goal of the compensation is to basically trying to take advantage of the increase in performance you get from the rebound in in, in that recovery response that you have. So, being fatigued oh. is not a not a bad thing. Being in a deficit can is 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 not a bad thing. You can definitely still be stronger. It just plays a lot more mental games with you. Yeah, I'm de- definitely finding that. So you you actually. What 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 I'm getting from this is that that generally most people think of cutting as an aesthetic thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's why I'm doing it. Um, but um, you actually program it in for your athletes so that they can super compensate for competition. I don't do it on purpose only if it fits right of course yeah their, yeah if they're, if they're already underweight right or yeah no if so if they're already yeah if they're already at their weight or then mm. you know we'll take advantage of diet cycles in the off season yeah 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 um and then so then they can eat up into their competition so if they're meant to compete in a 90 kilo class and they weigh 90 kilos then in the off season you might diet them down you know you know down to 85 kilos mm. so we can spend the last you know, 12, eight to 12 week phase of the main strength training to increase, increase performance. So, um, by eating up into that class, 
Um, you got other cases the other direction. Maybe that can be another topic about water cuts and weight cuts and stuff. Um, it it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. I saw. Yeah, I'm literally going to go into it. I think, but um, save it for another. Yeah, another yeah, topic. okay, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, in the in the end, the recovery, the 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 last point I think is that. After talking to her, um, telling her, but basically, we, you know, this is part of coaching is that my job is to try and educate them as much as they can because yep. the better understanding they have, then they know what to prepare for. And now that she understands that her performance is still there, it's just that uh, there's a lot of mind games that the yeah. brain goes through. Yeah. You do... You do, first off, down the track, you get more conditioned to that over time. Mm. Um, the more you practice doing that, um, it's worse if you have a lot of things going on in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it requires more effort to be on point um, if you want to feel good in some in some way. But this is just your body's natural response to not do more work. You yeah. Know? I, I, but this is where the gain, this is where the gains are made. You gotta. You, you have to learn to overcome and ignore and push through that, mm. and and obviously if you, if those markers get really bad, so you're not showing those extreme any extreme markers yet. Yep. If you're making good progress. Your body's making change. You, you you haven't lost any strength. Then you're fine. You can keep pushing. You just don't be soft. That's it. Yeah, I, I think that on the mind game side, if you've got um, strength athletes. I think the worst, one of the worst things that can happen to a strength athlete is they feel weak, mm. you know, like, and you, your mind, you would panic, I think, if you're not conditioned to dealing with it. Um, if you're, if you're thinking that your, your performance has dropped, my numbers are going to drop. Mm. Um, even if you, it's weird, even if you know it's only for six weeks and then, like you said, the performance is still there, you still feel anxious mm -hmm. about that i'm at the moment i'm like oh my god i've lost all my gains he's you know? the, the thing so for someone for someone like yourself and programming obviously a little bit differently is that you know we timed a good you know training cycle that it isn't as physically demanding mm. but more de more demanding in volume of work Volume's easier to get through than intensity when dieting yeah okay. so i've interesting um i have you know i will progress people's Base, I'll, try, I'll dial in people's diet with their training and training with their diet. Yeah. Um, now, with the flexibility with you not having to have competitions, that makes it a yeah. lot easier. Yeah, of course. I can just cycle around your priorities. And so, but at the same time, then what I do is use this time to then slowly build up work capacity, potentiate your progress after your diet mm. phase. Um, and knowing when those diet phases are, so it's like, you know, if you want to put on some more, some more muscle, then, then it's a good, good time to then, you know, try to increase your volume over time. So when it's time to refeed, we can then go through a couple of say shock cycles, meaning that you can go through some high intensity, high volume cycles yep. straight after to try and really get the most out of that refeed period when your body's most susceptible to building more muscle and strength. Mm. Um, Interesting. That is one one way. That is you know one method that we could use, and that's what we'll do. Yeah, you know, with you. So we'll time it with your refeed periods, and 
Fuck. So I can't wait to eat big and lift big again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the hardest bit of size. If you haven't, especially if you haven't done it that much, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm not... Um, I'm not psychologically great with, I, I, I tend to be someone who, who struggles staying the course with things. Like I used to be a program hopper um, and like quite quickly lose perspective on progress and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Obviously you, you think you're always thinking long-term as we've discussed a million times. Um, so my mind tra- plays tricks on me more than, I think the average person, if you've got, if you've got, I guess if you've got an athlete who is going through, I mean, how long are the cycles leading up to competition? Feel like you'd be going months, Depends how, it depends how you view it. Yeah. Um, Mine would be six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I don't just say, oh, we're starting comp prep now, 12 weeks out, eight weeks out. Um, I condition the athlete over time to then be able to handle a proper competition preparation phase. So even that's another topic for discussion. Depends how you want to view. view yeah, it definitely cycle. is. So yeah, okay. 